We are in Court Square in Montgomery, the capital of the state of Alabama in the United States. My name is Richard Muller. I'm a professor of military history at the United States Air Force School of Advanced Air and Space Studies, located at Maxwell Air Force Base, Alabama. This morning, we're going to be visiting some of the uh, historical venues in Montgomery and at Maxwell. Where I'm standing was a slave market where human beings prior to the American Civil War were bought and sold. Within a stone's throw of this area, you'll see iconic locations where the American Civil Rights Movement flourished. The Montgomery bus boycott of 1955, where Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on one of Montgomery's segregated buses. There is the Greyhound bus station where the Freedom Riders were attacked in 1961. There is the church of a young minister named Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who became a leader of the civil rights movement during the Montgomery bus boycott. There are also sites hearkening back to the time of segregation and the Civil War. The Montgomery State House was the location where President Jefferson Davis, the first and only president of the Confederate States of America, was sworn in. We'll be visiting that spot. We will also be spending some time at Maxwell Air Force Base. This is one of the most historic aviation locations in all the United States. We'll see a civilian flying school that the Wright brothers established in 1910, the cradle of Air Force and Air Power education during the 1930s. Today, Maxwell is the location of most of the Air Force's educational activity. Right now we're standing on the exact spot where Rosa Parks boarded the bus in 1955 that would transport her into history. She refused to give up her seat to a white passenger, which triggered the Montgomery bus boycott, which lasted from December of 1955 to December of 1956, when the bus system was finally desegregated. This is what brought a Reverend Martin Luther King to a national prominence. He became the uh, acknowledged leader and spokesman for the bus boycott. There is a connection between the bus boycott and uh, Maxwell Air Force Base. A number of the officers' wives at Maxwell volunteered to drive African Americans to work so that the bus boycott could succeed. Ironically, the place where she boarded the bus is right at the site of the uh, Montgomery slave market. We're about to leave Court Square and head up to the State Capitol building just up the hill. It is a beautiful fall day. Most people think of the south part of the United States as very, very hot. Indeed, in the summers here, it is incredibly hot. But the autumn season and the spring season are absolutely lovely. The climate here had a lot to do with Montgomery and the American South's importance for agriculture. The cotton crop, which was also linked inextricably to the practice of chattel slavery, the slave economy of the South, which really was the long-term cause of the American Civil War. That's the Supreme Court of Alabama. This is the center of government in the state. It, I believe the uh, air base and the state government are the two largest employers in the uh, Montgomery, although we do have a very large Hyundai car factory on the outskirts of town. That was a big boon to the, the local economy. It's a partly automated factory where robots do a lot of the spot welding. They offer a tour of the factory that's absolutely spectacular.
Three of the major milestones of the civil rights movement as it connected to Montgomery, Alabama, was the Montgomery bus boycott of 1955-56, the attack on the Freedom Riders at the Greyhound bus terminal in 1961, and the Selma to Montgomery march of 1965, where Dr. Martin Luther King and other civil rights leaders led a large march from the city of Selma with the famous confrontation of Bloody Sunday on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. It all ended here. The text of the plaque reads, the Selma to Montgomery Voting Rights March, led by Martin Luther King Jr., ended at the foot of the Capitol steps on March 25th, 1965. Here, Dr. King addressed 25,000 people. He said, I believe this march will go down as one of the greatest struggles for freedom and dignity in the nation's history. Now we're standing on the steps of the Alabama State Capitol, a beautiful white marble a building that dominates the downtown, the government quarter, the exact spot where Jefferson Davis was sworn in as the president of the Confederate States of America. After decades of mounting domestic strife, the uh, industrial north and the agrarian slave economy south could not see eye to eye. The states of what would become the Confederacy one by one seceded from the Union. Initially, Montgomery, Alabama was the capital of the Confederacy. When Virginia seceded, the capital of the Confederacy moved to Richmond. After four long years and tremendous bloodshed, brother against brother, that's not just a cliche. Many families were torn apart by the struggle. The war ended, the Confederacy went out of existence, and the Union was restored. But many argue that the underlying issues of the Civil War were not healed until the, the Voting Rights Acts of the 1960s. And some would argue that the divisions are still very much present in our country today. In the shadow of the imposing state capitol building, just down the hill, a very few steps, is a lovely, rather small, brick church building. This is the historic Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. This was the pulpit of Dr. Martin Luther King in 1955 when he sprung onto the national stage as a civil rights leader during the Montgomery bus boycott. He was well known locally as a civil rights advocate, but he had not yet achieved national prominence. The bus boycott brought him to that level. And this is the, the church where he preached uh, every Sunday. It is still a, an active church and there are services every Sunday. One of the less well-known historic sites in downtown Montgomery is Chris's Hot Dogs. This is a hot dog restaurant that has been here for a hundred years. And a good trivia question about Montgomery is what do the Reverend Martin Luther King, a country music legend, Hank Williams, and rock icon Elvis Presley have in common? Well, they've all eaten at Chris's Hot Dogs. We are leaving the downtown area of Montgomery. We're taking a short drive to the outskirts to the Oakwood Cemetery Annex. To the left is Riverwalk Stadium. One of the big uh, attractions in downtown Montgomery is we got a, uh, a baseball team, the Montgomery Biscuits. 
which is incredibly popular with the locals and uh, and visitors. It's double A minor league baseball, and it's a great day out for the family. In half a mile, turn left onto North Ripley Street. There was a contest, and uh, the name selected for the team was the Montgomery Biscuits, after a favorite uh, food item uh, down here. And when the name was first announced, a lot of people uh, professed to be appalled. They said, that's a terrible name. It trivializes Montgomery. No one, it'll never catch on. But the name became incredibly popular. Everyone wants uh, Montgomery biscuits, you know, headgear, baseball caps, and such. So now everyone claims that it was their idea to name the team the Montgomery biscuits. Turn left onto North Ripley Street, then turn right onto East Jefferson Street. Then take a slight left turn onto Upper Wetumpka Road. In half a mile, the destination is on your right, 1304 Upper Wetumpka Road. You would not expect to find a Commonwealth War Graves Cemetery in Montgomery, Alabama, but there is one. We're in the Oakwood Cemetery Annex, just outside of the downtown, and there are a number of graves of Royal Air Force flying cadets who were killed in training during the Second World War. There was an agreement between the UK and the United States government, it was called the Arnold Air Scheme, where British pilots and British airmen could train in the wide open spaces of the American Southeast. They are fondly remembered in Montgomery. Sadly, a number of them were killed in flying accidents. Flying training was very, very dangerous business during those days. And just as we lost a lot of American pilot trainees, the RAF also paid a price. Now, all the graves in this graveyard were not uh, flyers killed at Maxwell. Maxwell was the headquarters of the Southeast Air Force's training command. And a number of these pilots were killed in training at those other bases. But they were all buried here. Every Remembrance Day, November 11th, the senior Royal Air Force officers at Maxwell Air Force Base will host a memorial service at the cemetery as we remember our common sacrifice during the Second World War. Montgomery, Alabama has a very strong connection to the U.S. military. This graveyard, you'll see many small American flags marking the individual graves of war veterans. We happen to be looking right now at the grave of Henry Lawrence Hopkins of Alabama, a first sergeant, an infantryman in the First World War who died in 1954. He is laid to rest here, and there is a United States flag to this day marking his grave in his service. Adjacent to the Commonwealth graves is a cemetery area devoted to uh, French aviation and military personnel who also trained in the southeast of the United States during the Second World War and were also killed. So there are small corners of the cemetery in Montgomery. One will be forever England, one will be forever France. Perhaps the most visited gravesite in the Oakwood Cemetery Annex is that of country music legend uh, Hank Williams and uh, his wife Audrey. It is a beautiful, elaborate gravestone with musical notes and a cowboy hat, images of a guitar, cowboy boots, and other symbols of his uh, country music artistry. The grave is actually covered by astroturf, which is often commented on by visitors, so it is green even in the depths of winter.
We are now leaving the cemetery and we're going to the Montgomery Railroad Station. Train spotters love the Montgomery Station, not only because of the architecture of the building, but it has a, a train shed that covers the tracks. A lot of them were torn down, but this one survives and it's considered quite unusual and it's quite a, an excitement for, uh, for rail fans. We're coming up um, to uh, Riverwalk Stadium, the home of the Montgomery Biscuits. You see, they've used the old uh, rail yard to uh, create the stadium. Those were old railway sheds that were, uh, again, repurposed for the uh, use of the stadium. We're, we're driving around this giant baseball in the street, which marks the traffic circle. And we're coming up on Commerce Street. We're gonna go down to the train station. There's the Hank Williams statue. Trying to find a place to dump the car. Extraordinary uh, piece of 19th century railroad architecture, Union Station. When Montgomery had passenger train service, the station was very, very busy. But when passenger service ended, you know, there were some that thought there's no need for the station and they should just knock it down. Unfortunately, they didn't. And the, there's still talk of restoring uh, passenger train service to Montgomery. That has not happened, but I won't rule it out. Let me just park here. The windows of the train shed are pastel colors, pink and orange and brown and blue. It looks very striking. We'll walk down to the tracks and get a look at the river. The river was very important to the development of this town. That was the sound of a train uh, filling up its hopper cars at the grain elevator, which is located adjacent to the train tracks. We're right behind the train station in between the train tracks and the Alabama River, the, the major waterway that runs through Montgomery. This whole area is called the River Region. Um, I'm looking right now at a replica riverboat, the Harriet II, that cruises the river. It reminds people of the, the ambiance when river traffic and barge traffic was so important to the economy of the area. We, of course, are uh, in the midst of marking the centennial of the First World War, or the Great War. For the United States, that began in 1917. Uh, we were not in it in 1914, as the British and the Allies were. This statue in front of the train station commemorates the, uh, the Rainbow Division, which was comprised of a large number of uh, Alabama National Guardsmen, part of the American Expeditionary Force, our uh, contribution to the struggle on the Western Front. We are leaving the train station parking lot and we're gonna be en route to Maxwell Air Force Base. On the way, we will pass the Wright Flyer monument, which the town put up, recognizing the uh, presence of the Wright Brothers Flying School in 1910. We'll visit the site of that when we get to the base. That's our town newspaper, the Montgomery Advertiser. If you fly over Alabama, you'll notice uh, square miles and square miles of, uh, of timber, uh, mostly pine. The timber industry is one of the major uh, industries of Alabama, a number of large uh, timber companies, paper uh, companies. We're crossing over the freeway and the river, and we're gonna head out uh, into Maxwell Air Force Base.
We're now at historic Maxwell Air Force Base. The Air Force Base has a runway. We have some C-130 transport planes that are based here. C-130 is the standard Air Force turboprop cargo plane. The C stands for cargo. The 130 is the type number. It's been in service since the Vietnam War. It's a workhorse of the uh, United States Air Force. But this base's primary function is as a school for Air Force education at all levels, officer and enlisted, resident programs, as well as distance learning. This is really the hub of Air Force uh, education, other than the Air Force Academy, which is at Colorado Springs, Colorado. Montgomery's connection to aviation spans more than a century. In 1910, the Wright brothers, We're looking for a place to start a flying school, a civilian flying school. They had done a lot of their flying up at Huffman Prairie uh, in Dayton, Ohio, but Dayton, Ohio's winters are rather severe, so they were looking for a more uh, mild climate. And they traveled the southeast, and they found that Montgomery, some cotton fields to the west of the downtown, had some nice winds, some nice atmospheric conditions, and a nice climate which would facilitate creating this uh, flying school. So in 1910, they arrived. The local commercial club made them a very nice offer. They constructed a barn-like hangar building sponsored by local merchants. One of the slogans painted on the hangar was, our prices like Wilbur are right. The flying school existed only for a few months, but they trained a number of civilian pilots. The first recorded night airplane flight took place here at the flying school. The Wrights uh, moved on, but the connection between this spot of land and aviation did not end. The First World War uh, broke out a few years later. That was a, uh, a lawnmower. Uh, Montgomery also hosts a federal prison camp, and the prisoners do much of the maintenance of the grounds and keep the base looking nice. The United States entered the First World War in 1917, and the Air Service was looking for a place to locate an aviation facility, an engine repair depot. That is what became Maxwell Field. In 1929, Congressman Lister Hill had an opportunity. The Air Service, the Air Corps, wanted to extend its footprint at Maxwell, and he was offered either an air squadron or he was offered the Air Corps Tactical School, which was an educational institution. And Lister Hill reasoned that while squadrons might come and go, a school probably had staying power, so he asked for the school. 1929, of course, was the year of the Wall Street crash. In the early 1930s, Maxwell Field became the home of what was called the Air Corps Tactical School. Now, nominally, this school was supposed to teach airmen about the air service, its role in the Army, because the Air Force at the time was a part of the Army. But during the 1930s, the Air Corps Tactical School started developing theory for employing air power in a future war that went beyond the idea of simply supporting the Army and the Navy in combat. They argued that with strategic bombing, it should be possible to attack vital centers in an enemy's war economy and bring the enemy's war machine to a halt. It was very theoretical. It was very ambitious. But they used a lot of case study analysis. They studied the American economy to learn about vulnerable points in transportation systems, in electrical systems. The idea was in a future war against a future adversary, the Air Force would target precisely these vital centers 
from high altitude, superior quality bombers, well-armed, defending themselves, fighting their way to and from the targets. Now, this was actually applied by the U.S. Army Air Forces during the Second World War, and as many historians will argue, the Air Corps Tactical School thinkers got a lot of things wrong. They overestimated the ability of the, the bombers to find their targets, to destroy them when they did find them, and particularly they underestimated the ability of the bombers to protect themselves over enemy territory. And losses were very, very high before long-range fighter escort was developed towards the end of 1943. We have to realize these airmen were blazing new trails. No one had ever tried to use air power in this fashion. And, and most historians will agree that uh, Allied air power and American air power made a significant contribution to Allied victory in World War II. The historic air park was created at the initiative of one of our previous Air University commanders, General Charles Cleveland, who actually flew a Sabre jet in the Korean War. A jet painted up in his markings is just across the way. He thought it would be important to have the presence of historic aircraft, mostly from the Vietnam era, on permanent display at Maxwell Air Force Base. These aircraft are lovingly maintained. They are used as a basis for teaching and discussion and reflection. It shows the dramatic progress of aviation technology through the last decades. Each aircraft has a story. Each aircraft is connected to some episode in air power history from World War II up to the recent past. We recently took our students to Vietnam for a historical study trip where they were able to visit many of the sites of the Vietnam War. I think when they return to Maxwell and they look again at these aircraft, they perhaps see them in a new light. For example, the F-105 making uh, strikes on the Paul Doomer Bridge in, in Hanoi. They understand a little bit more about how these aircraft played a role in America's military past and in shaping world events. We're standing right now in front of the McDonnell Douglas RF-101 Voodoo, a reconnaissance aircraft, one of the important aircraft that served in the Vietnam conflict. There are others on exhibit here. There's an F-4 Phantom, there's an F-100 Super Sabre, and of course an F-105 Thunder Chief, as well as a Boeing B-52 Stratofortress. Uh, that noise you may hear in the background is one of our local cicadas. We have the rich insect life in central Alabama. The F-105 Thunder Chief, or THUD, is really an interesting teaching exhibit, as well as one of the most famous aircraft ever to serve in the U.S. Air Force inventory. It's a very sleek-looking aircraft. It looks like it's going 1,000 miles an hour just standing here. It's also an enormous bruiser of an aircraft. You can practically walk underneath it without stooping down. This aircraft was designed in the 1950s for delivery of nuclear weapons and a Central European scenario. It was designed to deliver nukes and a high-speed delivery system. In the Vietnam War, it was pressed into service dropping conventional ordnance on uh, North Vietnamese targets during Operation Rolling Thunder. And as, as a result, it was not ideally suited for that type of mission. It had one of the highest loss rates of any uh, American aircraft during the uh, Vietnam War. Uh, the pilots who flew her, they both loved her and hated her. But if there's an aircraft that symbolizes the early part of the Vietnam War, it was probably the F-105, at least from the Air Force standpoint. The 
duty day at Maxwell Air Force Base ends at 5 o'clock with the retreat ceremony. This is a, a time when everyone comes to a stop, stands respectfully, and the national anthem is played to signal the end of duty for the day.